I think what banking gave me was a discipline. When you're consciously being creative, you're sitting down with a problem, knowing that it's something that I need to solve. I told a friend about it and he said, you must have gone to the end of the internet to find it. And I said, well, I think we were pretty close. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name's Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're aiming to open up the conversation about the role of creativity in business. Um, and this week's guest um, is the amazing Jonathan Brunello. Yes, Chris, I, you say we're aiming to. I think we are hit the target today in opening up that conversation. Jonathan is a banker by profession or by career. He spent 18 years traveling the world, doing jobs that we don't understand what it is. Um, but he, after 18 years, he decided enough was enough, so he threw in his job in Hong Kong and moved back to Brisbane six years ago and came up with an idea to build, design and make stand-up desks for school children because they spend too long sitting, effectively. And it's a fantastic idea. It's a great discussion. What did you take out from the discussion, Chris? Um, th- the idea of conscious creativity, that he's very focused on the problem he's trying to solve, which is how to um, help kids learn better, how to keep them healthier when they're working. And that's what's driving him. And if, you've, if you're cynical about people who work in banking, this should restore your faith because he's trying to do some good as well as build a great business. Yeah, Chris, without a doubt, and besides talking about the processes they went through to design and get this furniture into schools, he also gives an insight into the importance creativity plays in today's modern banking. The other thing that I took away from the discussion was the importance of discipline. So often creativity is seen as something as spontaneous, or, but he points out it's very important that you make time for creativity. Yeah, let's see how it's done. So, Jonathan, welcome to the Common Creative. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, great to great to have you with us. Now, uh, Jonathan, you're the third or fourth, actually, person we have had on from uh, or had a uh, involvement with banking, um, but we're not here to talk about banking. Can you give us a little bit of your story? Certainly. Thank you for having me on. Um, I guess my story in banking, um, you know, went for 18 years. Um, I actually, my, my career started in Toowoomba uh, here in Queensland. Um, I was in grain trading and, and marketing and in 1998 decided that I wanted to get into banking. I didn't really know what that was. Um, made my way to London and within a year was in New York and a couple of years later was in Sydney and then did some time in, in, uh, in Hong Kong. Um, so over an 18-year period, had the opportunity to um, work across all aspects of um, private wealth management and, uh, and the equities business and uh, be part of the change that took place over that period of time um, and uh, running small and large teams across Asia. In 2016, I moved back with the family to Brisbane and at that point in time decided that uh, I wanted to put my career in banking on permanent ice 
and wanted to try to do something good for the world. And I know that may sound somewhat trite, uh, but I think we all have that within us to to change our careers and uh, at, at really any period of time. Uh, so at that point in time, Ampistand was born. And that's where I am now. We're trying to change the way schools uh, think about the way students and their staff interact with their, uh, with their environments, their learning environments. So where, where did that idea come from? Because I, I can understand somebody who's built a successful career, I'm guessing a bit of financial security, and then pretty much the world's your oyster. Um, and you've alighted on this idea of stand-up desks, particularly for school kids. Where, where did that idea come from? So it was a combination of really uh, two or three different moments in time. Um, we had, at, at the firm I was working for uh, at, at the time, we had just moved into a... Uh, a new trading floor. So we had a couple of hundred people on a trading floor uh, with you know, new trading desks, multiple screens and, and whatnot. Uh, in my team, I had, uh, in, just in Hong Kong, I had a couple, of, uh, a couple of guys, different ages, who wanted the ability to actuate their desks or move their desks up and sit down. Um, so throughout the day, they could change their, their posture um, for reasons of weak core or bad backs or whatever it happens to be, or just for the fact that they felt that they would work better and concentrate better uh, in an upright position. Uh, so that, that, was the first, that was the first idea, if you path that. And secondly, my wife and I had spoken about coming back and doing maybe something with kids' furniture, and uh, it was really um, my, my wife's idea. Um, but again, that was, we, we sort of, that was floating in the back of my mind. I think the thing that really ticked it uh, or got us thinking about what we wanted to do was seeing my son uh, standing at our kitchen table one day with my laptop open and uh, me saying to him, Callum, you know, if you're going to do your homework on my laptop, you need to be sitting down. And his comment to me was, but dad, I concentrate better when I'm standing up. And at that point in time, I actually took a photo of that and I didn't really know why. I don't really know to this day why I did that. But we were about a week later um, driving to the cricket club in Hong Kong, our favourite place. And the idea came to me. I turned to my wife in the car and said, how about we do this? Because to me, it seems obvious that children should have the same opportunities that workers have uh, to move uh, and have a, have a flexible learning space. Um, you know, it seems obvious to me that we should be doing it in this, in this day and age. And I guess at that point, we were trying to name the business and, and whatnot. So we came up with a, uh, a one-page spec. I bumped into a design company uh, based in Brisbane who had offices in Hong Kong, London, and Brisbane. And we began working with, with them. And uh, we came up with a couple of prototypes and worked on those prototypes for a few years. And we've gradually changed the product to a point where we've now got about 250 units in schools throughout Brisbane and up into the Darling Downs. So we're very, very early in our uh, uh, in, in the way the business will grow, but we're, uh, we're quite confident that people will begin to embrace what we're developing and, um, and the, the ideas that we, uh, we have for the way students interact. Richard, I've been checking it out online. They're beautiful looking units. Um, the, the, in the pictures on your website, uh, it, the, the, it looks like that's the way kids should be writing, learning, standing. It feels like it gives them more flexibility. One of the questions that popped into my mind when, when I was thinking about stand-up desks is, is where the idea of sitting down came from, not where the idea of standing up came from. How did we find ourselves in a world where everything happens sitting down? Do you happen to know that? Because it's much more logical to be standing up. I, I think you'd probably have to go back to uh, I, I, when we when I set the business up. I think we I, I did some research into that, and I think you go back to the you know sixteen hundreds, fifteen hundreds. Obviously, you know you can look at images and pictures and drawings and whatnot, but the images go back to that. 
I I think personally that it, it's probably a, a throwback to the period where educators were seen to be you know the uh, the uh, you know the clever ones if you want to call it that the dominant ones uh, and if you were there to learn you were there to you know sit down shut up and be told uh, what to do and how to do it uh, and to some extent that is still the case but I do think that the pace that education is changing and the way it's changing in different teaching methods that schools are beginning to embrace different ways of learning. We've gone from, you know, couches, uh, or from the the, the methods that that you mentioned, Chris, which is just, you know, a a teacher up the front and desks in a row, to uh, couches and beanbags and and whatnot. Uh, The teachers I speak to actually think we need to come back more to to the centre. We need to still maintain, a, a, I guess, a a discipline whereby students have the uh, ability to be flexible in their day-to-day and moving up and down and and sitting at the right height, standing at the right height or standing if they want, um, but also giving the teachers an ability to manage the class. Yeah, actually, it's it's very interesting, and I never really thought about it, Chris, about the thing of you know where did it come to? Why are we sitting? Obviously, before the chair, people sat on the floor, and I know that that feels better, like in terms of stretching and stuff. And maybe that's the middle ground. But also, given that you know your background in banking, it's interesting also that you know the name of a head of an organisation is the chair. Well, traditionally the chairman, but now the chairperson. Uh, and so there is this thing. It's not the standing person. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's the chairperson. Um, I just, look, we, there's so much questions I want to ask you about the design and stuff, but I just wanted to backtrack a little bit and ask you about this thing. And I mentioned earlier that you're the, the fourth person that we've had from the banking industry on our show and the show's about creativity. Uh, you made a comment earlier before we started about, about that. Yeah, look, I think to some extent you go into into banking um, really not knowing much. And, and look, I went into the institutional um, institutional banking, um, and my career started really in you know with a with a pen. And I was tick, ticking and tying. I was a reconciliation. Our analyst, if you want to call it that, you know, you really start at the basics. So there's not an awful lot of creativity you can, you know, you can bring to your day when you're reconciling, um, you know, books against uh, another book. Um, but I do think, though, what banks and certainly the organisations that I work for, the two I work for in my 18-year career, they expected us to change um, and and challenge the norm. And I think the, the pace at which the industry grew and changed over the time I was um, I was part of it required um, creativity. And and I and I say that not just from the perspective of um, you know the, the expectation that someone in a team brings something new to a table and you know all ideas are um, are on the table for for due consideration. I think the way that the industry has now uh, evolved post GFC and um, it was required to reinvent itself somewhat. And I really think that um, those who succeeded in banking are the ones who have been willing to think outside the squares and think outside the box. Um, those who haven't are probably not no longer in the industry. And I, I think it's 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 a testament to what banking has become uh, as to as to how it's embraced change over the over the last couple of years, the last fifteen or twenty years. Thinking thinking outside the money box. <laughs> that is true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Chris made a comment earlier before you came on about uh, anything about job. Chris, how much you get paid? What's that uh, saying? 
Oh, yes. The, uh, that's from a professor at business school. And, and he said, the harder it is to explain what you do for a living, the more you're going to get paid. And we were looking at your background and there were some very long words to describe what it is you do. I thought, well, that must tell me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I think my father, my father's 80 now and he still, I, he still could not explain what I used to do. Um, and, you know, in, in fairness, there were some complicated things and I did, but it really it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science. Um, I think you you have to you have to want to learn and understand. Um, you know, a lot of my friends uh, in the industry, I, particularly when we were in Hong Kong, um, I used to used to hang around with a lot of um, colleagues because we used to spend a lot of time together, um, and we all understood what each other did. Um, but none of our none of our partners or our friends outside of finance really had a clue. <laughs> And, and how has that helped you set up a business in the furniture market? Or has it in any way? How, how has being a banker helped you launch a startup? I think uh, DesignWorks, who, who did the design work um, here in Brisbane with me, um, one of their principals said to me one day, uh, he said, JB, have you had any experience in design at, at all or whatsoever? He said, because you've come at this from exactly the right perspective. And I said to him, look, Alex, as you know me, I can't draw, a, I couldn't draw a stick figure if I tried. But I think what, to answer your question, um, Chris, I think what banking gave me was a discipline. And I think that discipline, had I not, had I not been part of banking, I wouldn't have had that discipline to consider different ways of, of doing things. And that's not just from the perspective of coming up with this perhaps fanciful idea of, of changing the, the, the student furniture market, but also different ways of, of how our product would interact um, or, or sit within a classroom um, or different ways of approaching schools and educators about what I wanted to do, or what I was considering before we did it. Um, so a lot of the work we did, we have done in the last five years, probably the first year and a half was going out and talking to schools and educators about what they currently had and what worked and what did not work. Um, when when we had progressed from there, so the idea was to, to move it forward, it was then, okay, how do, I, how do I move this thing upside down? This desk has got to be mobile. Um, I can't be tethered to a power cord. I can't have a crank handle because I think that's just ancient technology. It's like pulling water out of a well. Um, what's a different way of doing it? Uh, and a friend said to me when I found it, um, when I found the way that we that we do it and we ended up patenting that, um, I, I told a friend about it and he said, you must have gone to the end of the internet to find it. And I said, well, I think we were pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jonathan, on that on that design process, were there any preconceived ideas that you had when you went into it, which were you know greatly challenged or a, a complete shift after you spoke with the schools after consultation? It's funny. Uh, the first conversations we had with schools were uh, when we went to them with our uh, prototype designs and whatnot. Were uh, this is great. One of the questions we had was, do we need to have these on wheels? Do they need to be mobile and to a school, they all said, no, 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 we don't want kids moving desks, workplace health and safety and, and whatnot. So our first batch of desks came out and we had, um, you know, flat steel feet, which made the desks quite heavy. And uh, then we got talking to schools again and they said, oh, wouldn't it be good if you could put wheels on these things? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was probably one of the one of the moments where you hop, I hopped back into the car and went, oh, okay, here we go. We've got to go back to back to the drawing board in terms of how we retrofit um, a new set of, you know, how we retrofit wheels onto this. That said, it's possibly been the biggest thing, the, the biggest change we've made and the most successful change we've made because it's allowed us to push these into different, uh, different areas. So... 
I know we've been talking a lot about education and schools, and and that's really what my where my passion lies. I really want to make a change uh, in that in that space. Um, however, we do have our desks being used by many teachers, uh, and we actually have them in uh, hospitals as well, being used in uh, by anaesthetists in theatre as the anaesthetist table um, beside the patient. We have them being used in post op as a nurses station, uh, and I actually heard yesterday we uh, one of the hospitals we have them in is using them as a, a table for patients recovering for their for their meals because it allows them to actuate the table to the appropriate height for the patient. So. To some extent, you know, that's a, that's a great example of how, you know, a, a throwaway comment from a teacher um, or from a principal or from some users can allow you to, or has allowed us at least, to move our product to different people and into different industries. Is, is this like, I, I remember a colleague of mine making jokes about when the world discovered that if you put wheels on a suitcase suddenly life gets easier. And before that, suitcases didn't have wheels. And he was saying, you know, why did it take us so long to work out wheels? And I'm, I'm wondering if, not just about wheels on, on desks, I'm talking about the whole idea of desks whose heights can vary. Will we shortly get to a world where we'll think it's odd if a desk doesn't vary its height? Is, this, is it kind of just a, an idea that's been way overdue and all workstations, if you like, should be able to move up and down because it's relatively easy to design that in. Uh, is that where it's going? Look, I think it is. Perhaps the biggest frustration for me five years in, um, or five years since returning at least, has been the the the, the rate of change that uh, schools and educators are, are, are willing to embrace this. And I continue to, I continue to learn every day uh, about who the decision makers are um, within government, uh, within schools, um, uh, etc. What drives me on is the fact that firstly we're, we're doing something good, and we firmly believe in in, in, in what we're doing as Anthony. Understand. But secondly, if I walk into a uh, if I walk into a, a newly fitted out office in let's say Governor Phillip Tower in Sydney or you know Eagle Street here in Brisbane, I can almost guarantee that every single new desk going into there will give the user the ability to actuate it from a seating seated position to a standing position and give the user that flexibility. So the question then goes back to the schools and, and, and the educators is why is every single state government in this country and the federal government, every single one of them has put out paper papers um, suggesting that their users or their, their staff should have the ability to move between seating and standing on a daily basis and the health benefits that go with that. Yet I could walk into any school within three or four kilometres from where I'm standing right now and there'll be different sized children sitting at the same height desks uh, because that's the way things have worked in the past. And that is our challenge as a, um, you know, as a, as a parent, that's my challenge to make that change. As a, as a PNC at my kids' schools, that's a challenge to make, to make that change. And it's to get people to change their mindsets about how students interact with their, with their furniture in, in a day-to-day setting. Um, Jonathan, I, it strikes me that, you know, you talk about the health benefits of standing, but there's obviously a lot of health detriment in sitting all the time. So it's not just a positive, there's also a negative. There's one thing that my my wife um, would like you to put on your list for next product, and that is to getting the schools to mandate the use of 
suitcases or bags with wheels because my wife, she broke her back when she was 14, uh, fell over, not to become a paraplegic, but you know, broke her back, was in traction for six months. And I think it was because she was carrying a, you know, a shoulder bag, a heavy shoulder bag. Um, and so the whole thing about these young spines that are having a asymmetric pressure put on them is very bad. Yet, you know, no one child would, would have a wheeled suitcase, but if they all mandated it, well, then they'd have to do it. Do you, do you, have you thought about that, or you, uh, have you? Is it not not specifically suitcases? Um, but I, I do know of. Um, I am aware of, of certain Scandinavian countries that in the sit-stand desk space or the ability to, uh, to when they're decking out classrooms, they have mandated that the school provide that type of product. So have the ability for the desk to be actuated and actuated an adjustable desk is a it's a it's a fairly loose term and um, I prefer to call it I prefer to call it dynamically activated because dynamically activated implies to the user or to the to the, the reader that uh, the user can actually do it themselves so it's you know releasing a button pulling a lever and 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 moving um, a lot of the products on the market are, are actuated using buttons and screws, and you've got to get the janitor or the the groundskeeper or a teacher to come in and you know get two kids under a classroom. Can you push this button in here? Yeah, but I, I can't do that one. And if you push that, I'll get that. And then all of a sudden, the desktop falls on top of them. Whereas you know, thinking, <laughs> which doesn't tick any boxes, obviously. Um, I, I I think that. I think it does get to a point where where people have to reconsider it. I don't think we're anywhere near there in this particular country. But I also do think that those schools who have embraced it and are beginning to see it recognise the benefit that it brings, not just for physical health, Paul, but I think for also that there's a and and that's really where I w- was travelling for the first couple of years of Ampistan, thinking about the physical benefits of it. Um, you know, high uh, caloric burn. Um, you know, better posture for students, giving them the ability to move up and down. And then it dawned upon me. I read some papers t- talking about the cognitive benefits of of moving and and standing and. Uh, the benefits that brings to the users. Now, there's been very little work done on it at, at, uh, across a larger population. But again, you talk to a you talk to a teacher, you talk to a user. Um, even me right now, I'm standing talking to you because I think better on my feet. Um, there's a saying: you think better on your feet than in your seat. And, and you talk to teachers about getting kids standing or moving. Um, you know, if a kid's yawning in class, rocking on their chair, the teacher should have the ability to say, okay, you know, little Johnny, Katie, up, jump into the sit-stand desk. Why don't you hop into that? And then the kid is standing upright or they can adjust the desk to their correct height. They have to concentrate. They have to be alert or aroused because they're on their feet. You can't be asleep on your feet. <laughs> I've uh, actually even heard had a tip, which is that even if you're on a phone call, it's worth standing up because you're more animated and you're more engaged with the person, even if they can't see you. So, yeah, um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Paul, sorry. Just, it just makes me realise that um, when they used to make kids stand in the corner facing the back, uh, that maybe that was a really bad thing because all they were doing is being more creative how to be naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think, I think the classrooms that we were in uh, versus where they are now have changed markedly. And I, I think... When a teacher says to a child, "Stop rocking on your chair, go and stand stand at the stand up desk," the, the child should be saying yes. I know my my two kids. Um, I've got a son who's just gone to high school, and, and that school doesn't currently um, provide that ability to, to to sit and stand. My daughter goes to a local state school, and she comes uh, she comes home every afternoon, and she diligently tells me who's been using the desk and why they were using it, and and how they used it, and you know if there's any problems with it, Dad, can you come and tighten this or loosen that? 
Um, but she's very proud of what we've done. And, and she actually has kids in her class, uh, in her other classes and in the school coming up and saying, hey, those desks that your dad does, they're really cool. That keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cool dad of the school. Hey, that's high credibility. <laughs> so you're, you're bringing new meaning to, like, when you, what's your dad do? Our da- dad has a desk job. <laughs> well, that's so true. <laughs> At least she can explain what I do because she still has absolutely no idea what I used to do for 18 years. And I won't, I won't even bother explaining it to her. <laughs> John, I'll tell you what, I'm... I'm fascinated to hear from you because a lot of creatives are are challenging the status quo they're trying to do something different and and you said what we have to do is get people to change their mindset and obviously you're a part of the way down that journey but what have you learned if you were in a completely different field and you had to get people to change their mindset any advice for that how do you get people to change their mindset I I think it's (coughs) pardon me I think mindset. Um, everyone has the the everyone has within them to to change and to think creatively and 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 ch- and challenge what is the norm. I think in my last you know eight years in my career where I was managing teams across Asia, that was incumbent and expected of me, and it was part of my KPIs to impart that uh, or at least ensure that the people who were reporting into me felt empowered to um to 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 make change and I, I guess i'm saying that because banking can be viewed as an area where it um somewhat authoritative you know you will do thou thou shalt do this thou shalt do that um our businesses were quite diverse and and you know we operated across 16 different markets in about 12 different languages so i couldn't set the tone necessarily for what we wanted to do in each of those markets but i had strong people in uh, in each of those markets that i could empower them or and i expected of them um to change and think about uh, different ways or uh, different ways of doing things you know we've had we had some transactions um, in those last couple of years that I was in, in banking, where people said, this, this can't be done. Um, there are certain things that certain markets just simply didn't allow. And that was the that was the expectation. That was the norm. Um, we had a client come to us at one point and said, are you able to do this particular transaction? Because it will save our underlying investors in our fund hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he'd been to two previous banks to see if they could do it. And the answer was, no, it cannot be done. And I think that was just a throwaway comment. I really don't want the business. So to me, that was uh, an opportunity to really rethink that particular transaction and how we could do it. So I approached my leaders in each of the markets and I said, talk to your respective compliance departments in Korea, Taiwan, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand. And let's really see if what we're being told here is is true, whether we can do this particular transaction legally, morally, um, but also, um, you know, through the various exchanges. Anyway, we, we, we came back and we ticked off every single market and went back to the customer and said, yes, we can do this. And, you know, two weeks later, we had the transaction through, it went through seamlessly. We saved our underlying client hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in fees and charges, which flow through to their retail investors who were not paying those fees. Uh, what that ultimately led to was further business from that particular customer because we had given them a solution that no one else had been able to provide. I'm wondering if that defines what an entrepreneur is all about. If they're told that can't be done, the entrepreneur goes, ah, perfect, I'm in there, I can fix this. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're spot on. 
Chris, I think you're absolutely <laughs> spot on. And I look, I, I don't, I've never really considered myself entrepreneurial. Um, those who know me well would probably just laugh when you, you know, years ago would have laughed if you'd said that. But I do think that entrepreneurs do have the ability and, and not just the ability, but the drive to do, to, to, to pursue change. Um, we, we had some feedback early on from one or two schools, um, and we still do from a couple of schools saying, no, no, look, we're pretty happy with what we have. We've got some seated desks and we've got fixed height desks and that should that should suit the students. And that's okay. We realise that there's 3 million students in this country and not every single school is going to embrace what we're, what we're offering. Um, but we also know that uh, there's a lot of other schools who will embrace it and do embrace it. And the challenges that we've come across in terms of getting from you know an idea on paper to what I'm standing at right now have not been small. And it would have been easy at any particular time just to pull up stumps and say, right, I'll go back to banking. I'll, you know, there's not really much in banking here in Brisbane. You know, I'll do a commute to Sydney on a Monday morning, come back on a Thursday night. Um, but at the same time, that wouldn't have allowed me to do other things that I'm now able to do. Dropping kids off from school, picking them up from school, um, helping uh, helping my son, you know, managing a rugby team, uh, a cricket team, doing those type of things. So it's been, the, it's offered the best of both worlds to me, um, taking on this entrepreneurial, you know, role, if you want to call it that. We, we challenged you to share an idea. Maybe we've, you've already shared that idea with us, but was, was there anything you wanted to, to bring out at this point about your idea in relation to creativity or entrepreneurialism? Like, you threw that question to me a couple of weeks ago and I was putting some notes down on paper and it, it dawned upon me that we really have, I, 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 think, on the, I think I wrote it down as passive and, and unconscious, but it's really passive and active creativity or conscious and unconscious creativity. And I guess by that I mean, when you're consciously being creative, you're sitting down with a problem. This is the way I look at it, at least. I'm sitting down with a problem, knowing that it's something that I need to solve. And I've had many of these over the last couple of years, trying to work out you know, how high our desks go to meet top 95 and the bottom 5% of the population when it comes to students. And that took weeks and weeks and weeks of, of, of understanding and looking up a word called anthropometry. I challenge you to look that up. Um, and, and and working the internet, working through yeah. it. That's right. End of the internet. They get paid. They get paid a lot of money. Those guys. <laughs> that's, that's right. They're not the ones that dig bones out of the ground, by the way. But anyway, that's the other one. Um, so I, in that, I was consciously seeking to solve a problem. Um, and, and the example I gave earlier about working in that team in Hong Kong and, and around Asia, we were consciously seeking as a team to solve a problem. But I think for 95% of the day, even 99% of the day, we're subconsciously being creative and solving problems. Um, we just don't know about it. And I think that that's, you know, we talk about people being creative, but I think we're all creative. We just do it in different, in different ways. You know, some, some aspects of our day, we really have to be thinking about it. Other times it's, you know, driving the car to pick up a kid and realizing that there's an accident down the road. So you just do a quick little turn down a side street and take a different way. To me, that's the, the, the passive or the unconscious creativity. Um, we all have it. Some people just use it differently at different, uh, in different ways in their, in their life. Look, I think that's a great observation. We also asked you for a quote. Do, do you have a quote to leave us with? So we'll then wrap it up. I do, and I'm, I'm going to read it because I, I, when you asked for a quote, I did Google uh, creativity quotes, so <laughs> I will admit that. <laughs> a highly creative act in uh, itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, there you go. Now you've got me. Um, this, came, this, was, this was Steve Jobs, uh, and it was, creativity is just connecting things. When you ask creative people 
how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. It seemed obvious to them after a while. So, you know, Steve Jobs, one of the, you know, one of the most important people, um, you know, in the last, I guess, how do you define important? One of the most creative people, perhaps, in the in the last couple of hundred years. Um, and certainly he has built, he built an empire on, based upon, you know, thinking outside the square, whether it came to, you know, designing the, the original Apple monitors, um, you know, sticking music on a, on an iPod, um, you know, iPods, they even still make those. Um, the iPhone, ear, earpod, earpods, um, you know, the, the, the MacBook that I'm using right now. I, 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 look to, I look to many people for inspiration. I don't necessarily look to someone like Jobs, but I do think that that's a, a that quote embellishes what creativity is all about. Yeah, I think that does. And I think that sums up exactly what you've done in Ampistan. So I think uh, fantastic. So Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. It's been a, a, a great chat. And you know, I, I, the, my big takeaway, well, there's lots of them, but there's a thing about discipline. And I think in creativity, so many people think that it is spontaneous, but you, 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 you gave a great insight about the need for discipline in the creative process. So, and many other insights as well. So thank you for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, thank you Chris. so much. Jonathan. It was a pleasure being thanks. here. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, it helps others find us. And a huge thank you to Zane Weber, our audio engineer, to Michaela Rock, our producer. I'm Chris Meredith. We'll see you next week. I'm Paul Fiona. Join us then.